0: Details. So for the Devils Independent Fan Podcast with me, Rob Join me joining the show this week as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside, All right Paul?
1: Hey, Rob, be okay mate?
0: Yeah, I've had a good week, you?
1: Yeah, not too bad mate, not too bad.
0: I've uh, got my wife's got a vintage caravan and i spent the, the week selling cakes and tea uh, to people in festivals in, in sale, it was a great great day really, met a few rugby league uh, you know, people who come visit and uh, it was a good day for me normally, I don't have a bit of a boring week to be honest and... You know, this week was quite a good one. You're
1: normally fighting bats in your shed, Rob. So that, that sounds a bit calmer to me. That this week. Yeah, Happy
2: days.
0: The two sides of my, of my life. Uh, joining was <laughs> also on the show this week. We've got uh, Alex Simmons, the founder of Rugby AM. All right, Alex.
2: Yeah, good mate. I hope you're well. It's a pleasure to be on the Devil in the Detail tonight.
0: Yeah, I was. Uh, you you were uh, founded the Rugby AM. Can you tell our listeners the people who don't know what it's all about?
2: Yeah, Rugby AM is a rugby brand which is mainly rugby league. Uh, it started in my garage three years ago um, as an online radio station. I uh, actually made an app and it broadcast. And uh, I had a lot of friends who played rugby and I played myself and uh, just started doing a, a breakfast. I, I was doing breakfast radio, as it, as it were, at the time. and I decided because I thought that Rugby League needed more of a showcase and the lads, the personalities needed uh, to be... Um, promoted better and showcased better, I decided to do a breakfast show, which is really about the players having a laugh, showcasing their personalities, the side of the game, which if you've played rugby uh, amateur or professional, you, you know the kind of crack and uh, the banter the boys have got. And I just wanted to bring that to life on the radio. And it kind of, after i have been doing it a little while, I kind of realised that it had legs. And <laughs> after seeing and meeting Bo Ryan in Australia, I kind of saw the... Uh, the benefits have been on TV, and I decided I want to make it into a TV show. Went into TV, and it kind of the journey continues. Two years now on television, uh, doing up nearly 200,000 viewers a week. So it's uh, it's definitely growing in the right direction, and I believe that we're doing a good job showcasing rugby league, and we're trying our best to get out into the communities and around all the clubs and meeting the real people at rugby league, the fans, the players, and uh, all the people at the grassroots.
0: Yeah, I bet you can't believe how much it's grown. You had a festival, didn't you, a couple of weeks ago at Castleford? That must have been a special occasion for you.
2: Yeah, mate. It's, um, my background is actually DJing. So I started as a professional DJ at um, 17 years old. And I, uh, I, I, got, into, I got into that, travelled around the world. I've been a resident at V Festival for 10 years. Um, I've DJed every single time of club, and when I got to thirty, I decided, like, you know what, I've got to get a real job now, and like, you can't keep, you know, just uh, pulling young girls and like, you know, being like the bit of a lad about town, kind of getting a few grey hairs. So I settled down, got married, had another kid, and uh, I've uh, I decided that I wanted a proper job and a career. So uh, <laughs> I started my radio station, and the rest is history. Now I wanted to kind of with the festival, I saw an opportunity to. I've been to a few galas and stuff, you know, amateur clubs, and I just thought oh, this would be fantastic if we we willing to see with the professional club and did it big and had the dream to do something like ten thousand people. Uh, I didn't think we'd get over four thousand, and I kind of made a stupid bet with a cast family. That we're out promoting because uh, I believe that if you've got if you want a job doing, you do it right, do it yourself, and you do it right. And I were out firing, putting posters up, and he said, "You'll do five, ten thousand people today, hey, mate." We won't even do four thousand. So he said, I said, look, if we do more than 4,000, I'll get a cast badge tattooed on my bum. And uh, we got 5,195 people turned up uh, to the festival and to watch the Legends game. So, yep, true to my word, I've got a cast badge tattooed on my bum.
0: Yeah, there were a few Salford, ex Solf players involved in that. Uh, charity yeah. game, Paul Lighten, um Wayne Godwin, I think. know uh, There was a few ex-Salford so players who put the shirt on that day.
2: Mate, yeah, Salford's always been a great club, mate. Two of my really good mates, Jody Broughton and Ash Gibson, played there for a long time. And they they love the time there. Uh, met some great lads who played with them at the time. Luke Patton, uh, no, no, all that team. Uh, I've been out with them a few times. Obviously, I know Moz really well. It, it was a really good day. Supported by the boys in the Legends program that we're developing with Rubber League Cares is really important because it's about re-engaging those players with their professional clubs and letting them play. And not if they don't want to play, they don't have to play. But Letting them get together back again with the teammates, and um, you know, there's a big void in players who leave the game, kind of get lost to the game, come back into it at 50 year old, and it's like that 30 to 50 period. Um, they need re-engaging, they need uh, pro- projects and um, events for them to be involved with to keep them, you know, around the mates and around the fans, the people that look up to them and love them. Yeah, and obviously the
0: the success of Rugby AM kind of gives us. Us, like I say, coming out as come me as the, you know, talking about the community of the, the podcast Rugby League, you know, gives us hope that, you know, one day we, we could one day turn into a, a rugby AM like yourself.
2: There's no reason why anyone can't achieve anything. You've just got to have a plan. You've got to stick to it and you've got to work harder than anybody else. The one thing I pride myself on is I don't mind doing, like, graft. I, I love it. I, I genuinely get up on it, on it. I've just literally walked through the door now. It's like 10 o'clock at night and it's like, I love, like, working and I'll, I'm sat on my laptop now talking to you guys because I genuinely love the game and I love your passion for what you do week in week out, it's all about keeping it consistent and, and trying to look at your brand and how you can affect it to grow it, to reach more people and to also engage people in, in other ways like we've gone from a, an online radio show to similar to yourself I suppose um, and but we're not attached to a club. At least we had a club behind you. We were just like generic. Mm. Uh, Then into TV, into events, into dinners, into all sorts of stuff. and It's all on the back of just having a passion for the game and a passion for growing the brand and and really believing in it. A lot of people thought I was absolutely mental. When I started it, a lot of people scoffed at me, laughed at me, and uh, didn't really believe in rugby or what I was trying to achieve. And uh, I wouldn't say I proved them wrong yet because... It's nowhere near I want it to be. And I think that's it's kind of a blessing and it's also a curse in the fact that I'm never, ever happy. I, I always want more. I always want it to be better. And, you know, I, I believe that shows like yours, it, you know, it, it is the future because, you know, you, you're right on the cusp of digital technology. You understand it. You understand the fans and, and you're passionate about your club. And, you know, the club's got to get behind you. They've got to jump on board with you and, and actually be speaking to you saying, how can we grow? Can we do a... Devil in the Detail live event. Can we do a Devil in the Detail dinner when you're when you're and and a legend? It, all these things, are open to you. You've just got to reach out and get them and, and, and make sure the club are behind you because you're doing a great job and they shouldn't be ignoring that.
0: Cheers for that, Alex. Thanks for that, mate. Uh, what have we got on the show this week, Paul?
2: Yeah, we've got the, news.
1: We've got the Huddersfield review from uh, from Friday night. We've got all the amateur reports and review and we've all... An inductee to our 200 club that we started last season, and this week it'll feature Mark Lee.
0: Who else will do? We'll start with the news. Double in the detail. News. So, first bit of news, breaking news Justin Carney banned for two games uh, for a, a throw uh, on Friday night, Paul. Uh, disappointing, he's been a good player for us, and we're going to miss him for them two games.
1: Yeah, he has. Yeah, he got sent mid, didn't he, on Friday night. It was a dangerous challenge on Danny Brough. I thought it was a professional foul, actually, it had been seen before. I didn't actually realise at the time it, that's what it was for. Uh, but yeah, he's going to be a miss for us. They're getting two games, I mean, especially with the wingers. We've already got injured. I mean, we've got Greg Johnson out. I'm not too sure when Greg's going to be back. Mason, Kate and Brown's also out. So uh, we're struggling in the wing department at the moment, yeah. especially with Niall Levels being out as well. He's, he's out for another, another few weeks as well.
0: Yeah, obviously, Alex. You know, he's, he's he's a come from Castleford. You know all about uh, Justin Carney's He's a big unit, powerful, and he's he's been a star for us this season.
2: Yeah, he's, he's a he's a good uh, he's a, he's good Justin. It obviously came to Castle uh, came from Castleford in you know uh, dodgy circumstances, but I think he's settled in well at Salford. And Malan's Malan said he's his favorite player. The night I said who's your favorite player, Malan? He said Justin Carney, He loves watching him play. Um, I didn't actually pick it up, because obviously coming to Salford on Friday night, I can't honestly really speak highly enough about the club and the people there. Um, the actual staff there were absolutely outstanding. We go to every club across country, and think it's only OKR we have not been to this year. And Salford, honestly, were the, the best, like, as far as like every single person consistently knew what they were doing, knew what their job was, really organised, really helpful. It were brilliant, and uh, the lads there, you know, they're really positive about the show. And uh, I seen Greg Johnson and Josh Griffin before game. Good chat with them. Greg said he's not too far away. Josh Griffin, obviously, it's a massive loss for you guys to lose him because he's uh, he's he's really uh, he's, he's on the uh, on the up as a player, I, I believe, is. And I think Hull have made a very shrewd signing there. Um, but Justin Carney, yeah, I didn't pick up on it on the game, did? I didn't think it were a dangerous throw in particular, but yeah, um, it'll be a massive loss for you guys, without a doubt.
0: Yeah, well, I'm sorry, A lot of our fans uh, talk about conspiracy theories and you know the RFL not liking us. You know, as an outside looking, what, what do you think? Do you think we get unfairly treated?
2: And, uh, I mean, it's, you know what it is, and I said this to my one other day. So I think, I, you know, I think it, unless there can be some like middle ground reached, you you've never been in the position like you are now, as far as, like, Tim Sheens, he's probably one of the key men in the UK rugby, speaking to him after the game, so well-spoken, understands it inside out, he, he's got a real good vision of what Salford can be and what the game can be over here, and it was pretty sad, to really, to see the frustration written all over Mahouan. The one that I met three years ago to the one I met on Friday night was, like, worlds apart, and I do think unless... Um, there's something that can be sorted out for, um, for him, then I, I do think he'll walk away. I really genuinely do feel like he might walk away from rugby league. Not and, and, he, and I think his words were to us that, um, if I'm involved with, with rugby league next year, I'll be at Salford. So it's like, I think it's, uh, it's one of those uh 50 50s for me, uh, you know. That's I, I couldn't really. So I don't think he'd leave you in the lurch, but I think he's that frustrated with, uh, in his opinion, his treatment by the RFL. Now, from from an outsider, the RFL are on on one side, the Maroons on the other, and someone's got to bring them together because, for the good of the game, you don't want to lose a character like Marwan. I don't think he's helped himself. I think he's he's probably just you know, said a few stupid things and probably done a few silly things that he, he might not ever admit. It, but I'm sure that. If he could turn the clock back, he'd probably do a few things differently. But he's great for the game. His passion's there for all to see, and I think that what we need to do with people like Marwan is encourage him and help him develop. Um, Like if you look at him now, he understands that Tim's got a balanced, settled squad. It's not about the big profiles, the big names. It's not. It's about a team team mentality rather than individual stars that can't kind of gel.
0: Yeah, I suppose it's all about developing a squad, Paul. And, you know, this season under Tim Sheens, we, we've managed to do that, haven't
2: we? Oh, mate, without a doubt. It's, you've got a very, very strong squad. I think you have probably lacking a couple of players. And I did ask Marwan about the Marwan, uh, sorry, the, the Marquee uh, signing, because at the moment, the only marquee signing you've got is the marquee outside the ground when he actually hmm. pushed hard for a marquee. And I said, well, why you pushed hard for it? Can I ask you why you haven't used it? And he said, well, we, we did put a massive offer in for Sam Burgess and Sam ended up going home, but, and he said it's it they would use the marquee rule if they could get the right player, and I think that's really mature of him and, and really kind of um, wise of him to kind of have that mentality, and rather than rushing just to buy a name like he probably did in the past. He's actually waiting on for Tim's advice, and Tim's kind of green light to bring in the right kind of player for Salford. The big disappointment about last Friday, and I'll be honest with you, I was, I was shocked at how poor the crowd were at f- 1958. is shocking for a Super League game, and that's got it's got to be something that everybody looks at and goes, "Well, why?"
0: It's a good question, Alex. Why, Paul? We we've talked about crowds, haven't we, Paul? You know, on this podcast. Um, for for me, you know, if you need to go out and advertise it, and obviously we'll do the bit on social media, but it's all about for me, it's all about real life pubs and clubs and and sports clubs and getting the name out, really.
1: Yeah, it certainly is. And it's about getting results on the pitch as well, Rob, which we didn't do the week before at Leeds and we've been doing recently, have we? Um, so that's that's a big thing as well. But yeah, we've got to get back to basics, I think, In the advertising thing. I mean, I know the, the, we've said it before, that the people on social media and with emails and all that, but a lot of the time you're hitting the people who are already going at you, the dyads who are already there. You've got to get to these new people. And we've spoke about the stadium as well before being in a different place. We're not really... We're not really anywhere near where the Willows was, are we? But when you look where we are now, you've got a lot of area surrounding there. You've got Ermston, Flixton, sort of the new ends of Salford, Eccles, places like that. There's a lot of people there. I mean, it's a massive city, really, Salford, when you think about it, and a massive catchment area. So there's a lot of people out there, and it's just attracting those people. And like we were saying the other week about the stadium, you've got how many per day go over the m 60 over? bridge and see that stadium and how many people actually know Salford play there I bet you know sort of 50% of them don't so we need to be telling people you know we play at that stadium and you know advertising us and get people to come down there because the quality of the rugby that's been on show I mean for the main part of the season has been good
0: OK so now next bit of news Kyle Foster has been granted an early release uh, from the club Paul you know he's, he was disappointed. He's disappointed really it was an opportunity for him and, and for us to, to move forward together but obviously I haven't got the game time
1: well, he spent a bit of time alone at Swinton, has not he, this season? And I don't, I don't really know how we went on there at Swinton. I've not really heard a lot about him. He's been like sort of the forgotten man for the last few months or so. We've not really seen him. He's not been in the 19-man 19, 19 squad. So, uh, so, yeah, it's a shame, really, because he's only a young lad as well. He came from, from St. Helens, you know, with a, a good pedigree. And uh, he, he has his sort of struggle to, to get into the side this season. He got quite a bit of game time last year. And, and uh, I've not really heard anything about where he's going to. So, uh, you know, we wish him well because he's a young lad, and uh, you don't want to see him lost to the game. So hopefully he finds a club. And uh, you know, some, sometimes we were saying the other week, players sort of come to fruition at, at different ages, don't they? Some players don't mature until they're a bit older. So perhaps Kyle will come into the fore in the next few years.
0: Yeah, I suppose Tim Sheens, Ian Watson, uh, Alex. You know, they try and get these young players to get them in the system and, and sort of develop. And sometimes you, you pick players and they don't seem to, to get to the level where they need to go, or they don't get the game time, and they have to move on.
2: Yeah, I think you, what, you, what you find at a lot of rugby clubs is that it's kind of, if the coach likes you, if you face fits, if, if you're part of the, the, the way they play the game, if, if you suit their style, if, if you can pick up a good combination with another player. Uh, I think there's so many factors to somebody being successful and just having an opportunity, really. Carl's um, had a few clubs, I know he's been down at Swinton, Roxdale, Whitehaven, London, He's you know he's had a, he's had a few digs at a few different clubs and obviously I think he's only made an handful of appearances for Salford and uh, wishing him best of luck. But you've got to look at people like Kyler Moore. I mean, remember when Kyler Moore came to Leeds and he had a tough career and he went to work here, found some form, went to Saints and he smashed it. Same with like Chris Hill coming up through Lee, Alex Wormsley through Batley and University. Alex never even played Academy, so there's I won't worry about it, especially forwards. They do mature at an older age and. If he keeps his head down and has a lucky break somewhere, I'm sure he'll do all right.
0: Yeah, so I wish him all the best for the future and uh, hopefully we'll see him in the Super League again. Yeah. Next yeah. bit of news we've got. Uh, we've got uh, the club tested the Red Devils TV uh, yesterday, Paul. Um, you know, that's a good thing. They showed the, the game we beat Leeds at home uh, and it shows the club you know, are willing to you know go into that kind of area and, and, and sort of embrace, embrace the fans like
1: yeah, I think it's good. And it? I saw some of the interviews that they did with the coaches as well as they was preparing, like you know, for the Red Devils TV. and Yeah, it's good. I mean, something I'm definitely interested in because uh, you know anything that's publicized. I mean, I'd watch Salford twenty four hours a day if I could do. So uh, if we can get uh, get on like a, a TV channel as well, that, that's great. You know, it spreads the word and it gives gives fans the opportunity to to find out what's going on. So yeah, brilliant.
0: Yeah, we talked about uh, before Alex about the brands and you know getting out there and the clubs, you know, promoting themselves and. So for trying this Red Devils TV, you know, other clubs do it. OKR okay, do it, Wigan do it, you know, and, and it's good to see.
2: Yeah, I think I think what's, what's really important is whatever your initiative you're running as a club um, or as the league, you've got to um, plan it out properly, um, deliver it as well as you can and mainly stick to it because, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, success doesn't come overnight. You've got to get the right people involved in it. And if you, if you haven't got a great budget, you've got to get people who care about it involved in it. All the staff who've worked at Ruby uh, they all, they've all worked for free at some point. You know what I mean? they are all bought into the business, bought into the dream. So with Salford for TV, what I'd be doing is I'd be getting lads like you guys on board and, you know, in making, getting your passion involved with it to drive it forward. And I, if I were the club, I'd be looking at it and saying, right. How do we go back to basics? There's 10,000 Salford fans out there in that local locality um, who've been to games. So well, how can we get at least six, seven thousand of them at games? How can we get you know 10,000 signed up to watch Salford TV? How, you know, it's all about data. It's all about using it and making sure that those people feel part of the club. And there's obviously a bit of a void there, whether it's travelling to that new stadium or whatever it is. They need to work on it pretty quick and be honest about it.
0: Yeah, as far as it's the development thing, Alex, and we need to keep sort of moving forward, and hopefully the club will, you know, they're thinking of doing the uh, big promotion for the Castle game in the in the next couple of weeks. So we'll, we'll hopefully we'll see more posters and stuff around. Uh, what you, City. How,
2: many, how many fans do you think should be attending? What if if you were one Kukos, crush? What, what would you be happy with going to that game?
0: Well, if it, obviously when we were very good in the seventies, our attendance was kind of seven thousand, eight thousand. So if if you obviously you're fast forwarding it to now, I'm probably looking maybe. Sort of 10. If we if we were like, you know, super. I know when we left the Willows, Paul, was that right? We think we had 10,000 then, didn't we?
1: Yeah, you had 10,000 on that last game against Catalan, but a lot of them people have never been seen since, have they? Yeah. I think if you go back to certainly, I mean, I've been what, you why know what back, now. Why is the late 80s. If you go back to sort of the mid 90s, I think that was when we were getting decent crowds. Then our first season back in Super League, we were getting sort of five or 6,000, maybe pushing 7,000 some weeks, but. You know that's when we've been doing really well. I think since we've moved to the AJ Bell, you know we've been averaging maybe four four thousand or so. We've had a few good gates, something like we did last last Easter Monday. But a lot of it comes with success, Rob, doesn't it? I mean, we've not had many good days at the AJ Bell Stadium. have we? we've we had a lot of defeats there, and there's not been a lot lot to cheer about recently. So, uh, so I think that that's that's the main. I mean, to me, you can do all the public publicising, advertising you want. You've got to win matches, haven't you? and uh, that, that's going to get people people down there when we start doing that.
2: What do you think as fans of this six-point deduction? Where do you, where do you sit on that? Because obviously it's a massive bonus contention at game, game. You know, you're being sixth place and then, you know, everything, the whole atmosphere in the club and the camp and within the boys, you're pushing towards top four, but instead, you you know, you're struggling to get out of bottom four. You know, it looks unlikely. Now with four games to go, where do you sit on it as fans? Well, in support?
0: I, I think personally that obviously, you know, Marwan... Uh, has been sort of found foul of, of, of the salary cap rules and you know as a club we need to grow and obviously he thought that you know we with the way we we'd sign people up and it he, he makes it sound like we we went to a press conference about you know his uh, sort of the view on what happened and he, he kind of sort of blamed the RFL's kind of administration of it all um um on, on why it happened and to to me, I am kind of support him in that way because obviously when he made the point that when he signed um, Kevin Locke, um, they still had um,
1: Jake,
0: Jake Malina. Jake Malina already on the books, and he told them to to get rid of him, but they had not So it's not really his fault because he was under the impression that Jake Mullaney had gone when he brought Locke in. So really, he, he was only doing what he wanted to do, but because the RFL weren't able to kind of uh, you know process it correctly. Uh, we went up ended up over the side cap, but I'm I'm not naive enough to think that we were the we're the only club that are over a salary cap. I'm sure that all you know, the four or five clubs there who were playing big money to big, you know, for big players and to get them all under that what is it 1.8 million quid uh, cap, it, it would be a good job to do that. And, and and I'm sure Marwan, when he first joined Salford would have had the conversation with with other chairmen, say, well, how would you run your club? And then obviously he only ever took notes from other people and and sort of evolved it into his own. I don't know what your thoughts on it, Paul
1: it was a kick in the teeth Rob wasn't it and we've had a lot of them haven't we and it, it was a big kick in the teeth losing the six points and we've spoken about it haven't we and the rumours that we've heard and the rumours that I've heard as well about the, the administration of it and it seemed very harsh that that's how we if if that is true and we've lost six points for that but only sort of Marwan knows that and we've still got this appeal haven't we so it's been hard for us to, to sort of discuss it because we don't really know what's going to end you know with, with the appeal on that but I keep saying to people, you know, when are we going to find out about this? Because there's four games left and then
2: the season split, so people need to know where they are, don't they? Yeah, surely it's got to be tied up in the next four weeks. Because it's got to be, yeah. You know, you, you're not going to be able to go into the middle because they might, you know, if, if you're two points behind with a better points difference going into the last game and you get two back, um, then, you know, you might get into that eighth spot and, it, and everything's a bit different, but it's got to be sorted out sooner rather than later, and I'm, you know, I'd be surprised if they get any back now.
0: Well, that's so why Marwan seemed quite confident, you know, talking about, you know, his appeal. Um, I yeah. suppose he was confident the first time around when he smashed up for six points. But we have to wait and see if he, if he gets him back. It, it kind of makes the sort of running a bit more interesting because there's a bit of a gap opened up in the, between the bottom four and everyone else. So yep. we need that kind of points gap to, to, you know, to close to make the last few games interesting because if that doesn't happen, it just becomes a bit of a dead rubber.
2: Yeah, 100%. And, and I'll tell you what, the biggest worry I'd have I'll be honest with you, is the fact that um, you're playing Leeds, all and Huddersfield, who you don't have a great record at Leeds or Huddersfield. Mm. No one wins all away. Mm. And you've got Lee, who were, who were tough and they beat you last year. You've got London, who we're, we're going to London this weekend, London versus Lee. So I know, I know from speaking to those guys, nobody likes to travel to London. Mm. And they'll have four home games London. So... It's likely you could get one of them, London, away. You know, you could actually have. It's very realistically say, you'll be in the million-pound game.
0: Well, that's, that's the, that's the roller coaster ride. I watching, so Red Devils, we're used to that kind of
1: horror. It's already written, Rob, isn't it? We're going to be in the million-pound game against Lee. We know that, don't we? But, but yeah, I, I totally agree with what Alex is saying there. I mean, it's going to be really, really tough, isn't it, if we do end up in that mid-late. You can't take anything for granted because... The, the championship size, I mean, look at Bradford last season, they give us a, a right hiding, didn't they, at their place, and every sort of game in that mid-late for them, it's going to be a cup final. and they're going to want to knock Salford off, aren't they, and, and Leeds off, and like he said, we've, we've got a poor record, our record at Leeds is terrible, and, and at Care as well, we, we've struggled there, so I don't want to end up in that in that mid-late, and you know, hopefully we're going to get some points back, but... We had an opportunity, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago playing Leeds and Huddersfield, the two bottom two sides and we sort of blew that opportunity and lost both the games, so really we could have done ourselves a favour and got four points there but you know, our, our back's against the wall now really with these last four games.
0: Yeah, well, I suppose that's the roller coaster of watching so for a devil's fall, you know what I mean, nothing ever was yeah. planned and, that, and that's, I suppose that's the romance of it all because we love, we love the, 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 the adrenaline rush of snatching a, a late win or obviously again, conceding a game a late your feet, but you know, it's, it's, it's that's what it's all about. That's what you fall in love with rugby league for the emotion of it all, does not it, Alex?
2: Yeah, mate, it's, it's a fantastic game. Uh, I've been watching the Euros, and I just can't get me. I used to be, I'm a big football fan, I support Tottenham and I run their sports branch for like the Yorkshire Spurs, but I just can't honestly get my head into um, the England Euros thing anywhere near like a, a game of rugby league. It's just like properly. Um, couple of rubbish in any kind of comparison um, and it's, it just if anyone we're going to the campaign soon with RFL to try and get some uh, some new people to come along people who've never ever ever been to, to a rugby league uh, game before get yourself along and, and give it a go because I do believe that we need to convert some more people because uh, once you've been to a rugby league game you, you'll never go back And my missus on our first date we went to Rugby league game. I know she needed to like rugby and like no, she, she cheers louder than anybody else. She's really crying it. Ready <laughs> Wembley last year, eh, not Wembley, uh, at Old Trafford last year when Leeds won. She's a proper Leeds Rhinos fan, but she's got a Cockney accent, so good. All right,
0: that was the acid test. Get taken to the match and, and that and that cleats the deal,
2: yeah. 100%. Yeah, she 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 the first three dates it at rugby, so she uh, she carried she did she, she had a tough carry and she came through it all right, so. She she got keeps. She uh, decided down, uh, put a ring on it. As Beyonce would say.
0: <laughs> okay, a little, a little bit more news. We've got uh, we've got a, a masterclass. Um, the club have, have set up for well uh, people in, in school and college. The year ten, year eleven, year eight, year nine, and year six and year seven. All in August between the 9th, the tenth, the sixteenth, and seventeenth, and the twenty-third and the twenty-fourth. Alex, it's great that you know the club are going into the community and into the schools and sort of training the kids to to be to be better.
2: Oh, mate, it's, it's all about the kids and the, the quicker that everybody realises that if this game is ever going to grow, you've got to put all your time and energy into um, developing the next generation because it's those guys who are going to be the next stars on the pitch and we need a bigger player pool. The game's moving further and further away from the NRL at an alarming rate and it's also moving further away from rugby union commercially, which is really scary because sooner rather than later, players will have no uh, no no choice but to take bigger contracts on offer from other codes and, and other sports. And it's just, in other leagues, So it's scary to think that unless we get our act together commercially and like um, grow the game. And I think, you know, people people do moan about the RFL and slag like the RFL. Well, you know, the RFL are at the mercy of the 12 partner clubs. So, each club has a vote. And it's it's up to the clubs, really, to, to buy into stuff together. And Tim Sheen's made a really good point in our interview with him. He says, look, until all 12 clubs work together as one, we're never, ever going to get... We're never going to get the game growing to anywhere when, like where we need, to, need it to be. So, this is... Uh, this is, you know, where, where we're kind of at, and it's great that it's offered, a, you know, looking after the um, the next generation and going to schools because I don't think there's enough done in schools in particular. Like the amateur clubs are brilliant, but in, in particular schools to, to develop rugby league because I think there's a big kind of hoodoo fear about playing rugby in schools and teachers are a bit precious about it.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the the club's gone all pretty well over the last 12 months, Paul. Um, you know, going into the schools, going to the local clubs, and it's it's bright. It's a bright future, I think. Yeah, it uh,
1: certainly is, and we've got really uh, really big links with a lot of the amateur clubs now, haven't we? And there's quite a few in in the Salford area. And you look at the work that the foundation do. I mean, I was talking to John Blackburn the other week at the uh, at the open day, and they they do some tremendous work. And you know, you know long hours that they do as well and, you know, getting into the schools and getting involved. So, you know, I think there's a lot of good work being done there and long may it continue as well.
0: Yeah, another bit of news. Uh, they're doing um, a holiday camp uh, for the young kids as well uh, between the 8th of August and the 10th of August and the 15th of August and 17th of August. You know, it's good. Like you said, we, it's all about, you know, engaging with the community, Alex. And, you know, they're doing all kinds of things like this. It's, it's good to see.
2: Yeah, I've, I've, I've spent this summer I've been at the Rhinos Challenge in uh, Blackpool and in Skegness and to see the success of those events, just uh, we we actually run rugby end camps and we're doing one in Oldham, which is closest to Salford, that we're doing over that way. And they've the really we do like hundred and fifty kids a day and it's it's just it's just great kids just coming along, and playing rugby, like being on TV, it's fantastic. Uh it's what it's just what it's all about and it's, it's what the game's going to I'm have to go, boys. uh, But can I make one final point before I go? Yeah. Uh, A little, you know. I am. I read this story on rugbym.co.uk, and and if you want to catch up on my tweets and stuff, it's at Alex Simmons DJ or at RugbyM. But the story that came out today about Wayne Bennett um, trying to get the Morris brothers to play for um, for England, and it's like I met Wayne, and I I think he's an amazing guy, an amazing coach, but. Surely this cannot be the right way for us to go as a country to try and get two Australian internationals to play for England. I, I I hope it's you know it's not right, but it seems to be breaking all over. I just wonder what your thoughts are on it.
0: Well, my thoughts are there's obviously there's obviously he's had like a little meeting anyway with, with what he thinks is is his you know squad. Uh, yeah. There's no sole players involved in that, uh, and I know obviously Paul um, as well. Agree. There's a few. A couple of players for Solford there. Josh Jones for one. is English. Why, why is he in that squad? He's been outstanding for us last last few weeks. Uh, Josh Griffin, uh, before his injury, he was he was in banging form as well. Uh, but did, did he get looked over because he's wearing a red shirt, sure, Alex? That's the question.
2: Uh, I won't I won't say anybody gets looked over by Wayne Bennett for the colour of the shirt. I think Wayne Bennett is is a man he's is a man with a massive integrity. And he's the most successful coach of all time, so I don't think anyone can question his uh, his success. I just think that um, just from a PR perspective, if a story like you know, I could understand someone like Trent who's like a young kid coming through, like youngish anyway, but not the Morris brothers, who were established Australian internationals. It's like. It's just we can't, we can't have them playing for England. I think, stuff. I think once you've played international rugby
1: play. for a country like Australia or whoever, you shouldn't be able to play international rugby uh, for another country. Once you've you align your allegiance to that country, that should be it, as far as I'm concerned. the anyway, okay. same as it is in football.
2: And the worst thing about it is, it's like you look at the way the Australians do it, like semi Radra recently. Playing clearly Fiji and playing for Australia. I I know he's going over to French Rugby Union now, but it's just like, how are these countries like Fiji ever going to develop if Australia are taking the best player? It's like, we all go on about the international game. We need to get these star players playing for the countries rather than playing for Aussie or England or anybody else. It's like, Danny Bruff's a prime example. Fantastic. He's, he's, you know, Bruff is from. Jewsbury, I think he's from, yeah, I'm 99% sure, top, top bloke, Steve McNamara didn't want him, he says, I'm playing for Scotland, and when everyone was saying, bring Danny Bruff back to play for England, he went, nah, I'm playing for Scotland, and he stuck it out, and he's getting a reward this year, and fair play to him, respect to him, because he's, he's, you know, he's stuck it out, and, and, and I've got no but respect for him, but if more players were like Danny Bruff, we might have a better, stronger international game.
0: I'm sure Danny Bruff at one point, when it obviously when he broke through, he probably looked at the England squad at the time and thought, "Am I getting in this squad?" And then Scotland came along and said, "Come and play for us, because you cause yeah. you're a bit Scottish." And yeah. then he took that opportunity. If if obviously there was a kind of an opening at the time, would, yeah. would, he, would he have picked England first?
2: That's that's the question. Well, he does like Ian Bruce, I think that qualifies him. <laughs> <for Scottish. laughs> he's a, yeah, he's a good bloke. Yeah, no, I think. Any young lad who's, you know, from Dewsbury is going to pick England first, but, you know, he's got the opportunity with Scotland, and the fact is he's stuck by him. Yeah, yeah. When he was saying, oh, bring Danny bruffin bring Danny Bruffin. he says, "Now I'm Scottish. You know, in a, in a broad Yorkshire accent, Now I'm Scottish, and fair play to him, respect to
0: him. Well, i say, I suppose he, he built the he, he's helped built that Scotland Rugby League brand, has because they had a quite a successful World Cup, didn't they, as well, with him, in, you know, him pulling his strings. Um, and, you know, he's a good player, like you said, and, you know, he's only going to do good things for Scottish Rugby League.
2: 100%. They've got like they've got some good lads coming through. They've got a few Aussies. I know putting their hand up big Keith Galloway who's started to find his feet in Leeds and uh, that Matt Maness, who plays over in, in Australia. They've got Dale Ferguson, Danny Addy, some uh, some some strong strong runners there. Some good players. So it'd be interesting if Leicester can win title. Why not? Yeah. Be at Anfield in uh, November 19th. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Also looking at some more, more
0: bits of news. Uh, Virtual ride to Rio. Uh, Paul Lighton and I think your mate Keith Senior are, are on the way to Brazil to do a bit of bit of cycling.
2: Mate, I'll tell you. I'm going to leave you this true story. This is absolute fact. Um, there's a there's a legendary player called Roy Dickinson who plays for Leeds. Absolute hero. He is. Uh, really really good bloke, and uh, he's a bit of a, a bit of a legend with ladies. And he's uh, split with his wife a few years ago. He got his Brazilian girlfriend. So, Keith's decided to do his ride to Rio. with Paul Light in for RLKs. And Keith came to get his heritage certificate from Lee Rhinos recently against uh, Hulk And Chev Walker were getting it on the same day. And they were talking. We sat down pre match. And Keith started talking about his ride to Rio. And Roy Dickinson were like Here we go. And he went, No, 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 Keith, Keith, you'll die. And he went, What do you want about it? He went, You will die. You'll be killed. If you tried to ride a bike through Brazil, you will be killed. And he's like, no, no, no. He's part of a charity. So he went, believe me, I've been in Brazil. I've been robbed at gunpoint. I know exactly the country inside out. You'll die. So Keith went back to our case. Look, he's pretty convinced that we're going to get killed and robbed at gunpoint. So I think they went back and researched it a bit more. And, I, I, and I, we went the other day to interview Paul Heighton. Um, at the centre, at the uh, Jane's Appeal, uh, James Tomlinson Fund, who were in partnership with RLK, is actually putting the ride on. And uh, as I walked into the meeting, they're all sat around these people who were riding with Paul Light and Keith and a few other people. And the first thing that this guy said, Mike Tomlinson, James husband went, Yeah, there's part of the road we can't actually ride through Salvador because we'll get killed, they'll rob us at gunpoint. And Paul Light in Space were just like, Oh my God. And um it says then he goes, um after we've gone through Salvador and we've got past all the you know, the drug dealers and the gang members who run it, we then have to ride through a five hundred or oh, what is it, fifty mile or five hundred kilometres, something stupid anyway. There's a jungle wall. So there's a wall, big fence that runs alongside the jungle, so you can ride through it, but the monkeys and the rabid dogs can't get to you. And <laughs> like and if we get through the monkeys, the rabid dogs, and the gunfire, it says, then we're on like this this really rocky road. So if we get that, and I was thinking to myself, this is like, and this is like, not the Great Escape by the sound of it. It's, it's it's a it's a ridiculously difficult challenge. The ride into Rio from um, the Olympic Stadium in London to the Olympic Stadium in Brazil, there for the opening ceremony of the Olympics, will be fantastic. But it sounds to me like a. An absolute, you know, death wish.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, they're doing, a, they're doing a virtual ride in the Trapper Center on the 29th and the thirtieth of June. Paul uh, yeah. Lightens there, and they're going to—I suppose you can have a little practice, have a go on a bike, and a bit of exercise. But it's a great charity, Paul, that you know you, you want to really want to donate. And obviously, Paul and, and Keith Senior, you know, putting in the—you know—put by the sound of it, Alex, sound of it, anyway, putting the life at risk about cycling through Brazil. Uh, you know, it, it's worth a—you know—a few quid.
1: Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, speaking to Paul Lighton the other day, what well, we at the uh, on Friday, Uddersfield, and uh, yeah, he looking, he was looking a bit nervous actually on on <laughs> Friday, but but, but yeah, um, uh, yeah, he can look after himself. Though Paul Lighton. he was an Andy Lag when he played for Salford. so but yeah, good luck to him because it don't sound uh, don't sound so clever that
2: does it? Well, I'm <laughs> to It's been fantastic being off the show tonight. Thank you very much for your time, um, and uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing because I, I really do believe that. If, with your passion, it's going to grow to another level.
0: Cheers, Alex. Thanks for coming
2: on, mate. No worries. Okay. bye
0: See ya. So, next bit of news. Uh, cheerleading, Paul. The cheerleaders, the Red Hot Angels, are looking for a new tune to dance to uh, before the game. Um, me, I'm, I'm not a... Well, I'm, I listen to a bit of music, but names I'm, I'm no good at. Um, any suggestions coming
1: from you? I oh, like the way you threw it straight over to me, then about cheerleaders. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm a big expert. Yeah. Um. I don't know, to be honest, Rob. I mean, the music we come out to at the moment's a bit a bit naff, I think. That um that, that, De- that Devil's Arising music that we yeah. come out to, you know, with the drum and all that. I think that's a bit... It's all right, isn't it? It's a bit... One thing that I think is a bit depressing at the moment is playing the Smiths when at the end of the game. Mm. I'm a big fan of the Smiths and Morrissey, but there is a light that never goes out. It's a really depressing song, I think, to yeah. to have after a maybe after a defeat. But you know, when we win, you know, let's have something a bit more upbeat. But I'm sure we can come up with something, can't we? We've got quite a lot of local bands in the area, are not we? And local groups and this that and the other. So just something a bit upbeat, really, and something they can. Dance to and shake them, there's one things song, that they shake.
0: There's one song I like, I, I don't know who sang it, it's called, it's called The Devil, D-E-V-I-L,
1: and it's a bit right.
0: housey, it's a bit bouncy. Yeah. probably about early 2000s, so it's probably a bit dated now. But mm. I think it'd be good, that.
1: Yeah, yeah, if anyone yeah. Can find that. Anything's better than them songs that we have at the moment, aren't <laughs> they? And uh, Matchstick Men as well, that, that one at the end, of, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really my cup of tea, that.
0: No. Well, like I say, I suppose you know, we'll throw it out there and we'll see what, what, what comes up. Uh, final bit of news, we've got uh, the Daredevil ticket uh, available for the Castleford game. Um, the club are going to go all out on this uh, Castleford uh, game, Paul, because obviously the last couple of attendances have been a bit low. I'm hoping that all the hard work in the next two weeks is going to pay off.
1: Well, they've got two weeks now, haven't they? We? We've got two weeks to prepare for it. and Yeah, it's not been ideal preparation for the Huddersfield game, was it, losing to... To Leeds and uh, you know losing the Wigan game as well, so yeah, they've got they've got two weeks now to to publicise for it and that 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 deal as well. I mean, for anybody listening who's you know a bit you know thinking about going that that deal that tickets an, an excellent ticket and I mean the money that you save saving there and. You know that, that to get you involved is a is a cracking offer. I mean, it's fifteen pound as well for adults for the uh, mm. for the cast game as well, and fifteen quid to watch you know a game of rugby league at the, you know top flight rugby league. I think it's pretty reasonable, really. That's good value. That in it. I mean, there's not many championships who well, most of the championship clubs I would have thought are over fifteen quid. Mm. So uh, so yeah, I just hope people buy into it. And like we were saying before, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, we're not playing very well, are we? And with this points deduction as well. But perhaps a lot of people are looking at it thinking, well, they've got four games left now, two at home, and there's not much room to play for, really. We'll hang on and wait to, for the middle eights. I mean, these games are dead rubbers, but, you know, they might not be. We're a couple more wins and we could get in that top eight, couldn't we, with the, with the We don't know, do we? We don't know whether we're going to get these points back. So I just hope people buy into it and get behind the lads for the, these remaining four games for the season splits, because these points could be could be all important.
0: Yeah, I agree with that, Paul. I suppose it's about getting your your, your name out there identity you know, in, in public places and I'm really hoping that the, the club will do a big leaflet drop stick load of posters
1: up. In- well, we have done in the past haven't we Rob we did quite yeah. a lot of it was it last season there was posters all over the show were not there and there used to be posters on the East Lanks and you know in chip shops and places like that and shops and corner shops this that and the other and I think that's what you've got to do you've got to get out of there and especially those areas surrounding the stadium that we were talking about before you know that sort of I call it sort of the new Salford really it's nowhere near Weiss where the old ground was was it really um, it's not too far away but it's not in, in walking distance is it so you've got like a lot of there's a lot of houses and a lot of people live in that area so get to them people and like we said before do a lot of them people know we play at that stadium I bet there's a lot of people who don't so let's get to them and tell them you know what we're all about
0: Yeah. so that was the news this week and now what we'll do we'll talk about the uh, Huddersfield game uh, on Friday you're listening to Devil in the Detail and this is your
3: Big Match Review
0: So, Salford so Red Devils took on the Huddersfield Giants at the AJ Bell on Friday and went down 31 points to 30, Paul. Another close defeat.
1: It was. We've had a lot of games like that this season, haven't we? There's, there's not really been many games where we've been sort of beaten out of sight, apart from the whole game on the opening opening round. The rest of the games, we've been in sort of touching distance, really, haven't we? You know, I don't think we've been beaten by more than two scores. So, it was another, another body blow, really, wasn't it? And, I mean... Going back to it now, I think the scoreline sort of flattered us a bit. I thought Huddersfield were the, were the better side on the night with Brough and um, Ellis at half-back, really. They the beat us quite comfortably and we came back towards the end. But, um, you know, to lose to a side you know we have struggled this season, it was another disappointing result.
0: Yeah, it was an emotional uh, start to the game with the crowd and the players uh, paying their respect to Con- uh, Ronan. Costello, who passed away in the in the Academy game, um, you know, a minutes applause, a minute silence as the players walked onto the pitch. All you could hear was the studs walking along the concrete hall, It was, you know, it was it was emotional.
1: It certainly was. And to be honest with you, I don't even think the the announcer told the crowd to be quiet. I think it was just sort of everybody's instincts. From what I saw, everyone just seemed to do that minutes applause, and everyone just fell silent. And then we had the official minute silence. You know, when the referee came on, so that was. Hats off to all the Salford supporters and all the Huddersfield supporters as well. I thought that, you know, it was fantastic to see the two two teams, you know, coming together as one for, for that poor young boy because my 17 year old, it, it was a tragic story and it's something that really upset me. And I was sort of thinking about him all, all the weekend and that. And I mentioned him in my amateur report and he was fighting to for his life and that. It so was, it was awful and it, it was lovely to see the, the Salford supporters with the, the banner that they did. And at the end of the game, they, they passed it over to the, the Huddersfield supporters. Um, Supporters and the Huddersfield players, so that that was a really nice moment. I thought.
0: Yeah, and obviously after after we'd done that, uh, the match kicks off, Paul, and uh, Salford started well. Uh, a try with from Kay, Craig Craig Kopjak, uh, nice ball from Robbie Louis to, to send him over.
1: Yeah, he was. We got off to a good start. Yeah, big Craig scoring against his old his old team, and uh, I thought he had another good game. Craig Kopjack, I coming, mean, he's up there at the moment to be Player of the Season. I think he's been very very consistent this season. That was just the start we needed, really.
0: Yeah, looking at the Salford side, we've got O'Brien at fullback, Justin Carney, Josh Jones, Junior South, Daniel Vido, Michael Dobson, Rob Louie, Ben Murder masala Mark Flanagan, Weller Racky, Craig Copjack, the try-scorer, Logan Tompkins and George Griffin on the bench with Salford, Kroenicki, Jordan Warren, Jake Bibby and Phil Joseph. So Salford led uh, through that try uh, from Copjack, and then Huddersfield uh, hit back um, with a try at own.
1: Yeah, they did. Jake Connor went over, I think it was after 10 minutes, and uh, Danny Brough missed that kick to keep us still in front, and they scored again from uh, that Yuku Matai, scored on 26 minutes, and I mean, that was a good try what he scored. Bit of soft tackling from us, really, but he's a strong bloke. I think he took about three or four lads over with him, and I remember thinking at the time, how's he got that ball down there with the amount of defenders on him? But he's a really strong bloke, good player, and uh, we were 10-6 behind then.
0: Yeah, I have to agree about that, Kuma a big unit, and so his defence, uh, really struggled uh, to keep him out and obviously you know being the size he is he, he, he burst through and Salford's defence wasn't able to uh, to do anything about it uh, but then obviously four minutes later a try from Leroy Cudjo a flowing move from the short side from Huddersfield uh, Ellis made the break uh, and he fed uh, Cudjo to go over and, and Salford were in a bit of a hole then
1: they certainly was. I'm pretty sure they were back-to-back tries. Them, you know. I think yeah. there was like the next set of six, and they did that to us in the second half as well, which we'll come on to later. But yeah, I thought they just caught us napping a bit there, just with with those two tries. And uh, you know, six There, we was. They were looking the miles better side, to be honest. And uh, we needed. We need to response.
0: Yeah, on which we did. We hit back just before half time. A try uh, by Daniel Vido. A good link-up play from Dobson, Louie and O'Brien uh, sending Vido over in the corner, uh, Paul. You know, just what we need just to get back in the game and, and just to change uh, Ian Watson's half-time team talk.
1: Yeah, it was lovely work that from O'Brien. And, I mean, Daniel Vido probably won't score an easier try than and that one. He sort of fell over the line there. But that was credit to Salford's attack and uh, sort of quick ball movement to get us that try. And we needed that try, really, I mean. Going in 16-6 uh, six down, you're staring down the barrel, but 16-12, you know, you're back in the back in the game and uh, and back in the hunt.
0: Yeah, we were uh, in full flow then. Dobson uh, working his magic. He finds Jones and he goes over uh, with a bit of you know competition from the other field defender, but managed to burst through and and score.
1: He did, but just before that, Rod, Danny Bruff kicked a penalty goal um, just at the start of the second half, and they went 18-12 up, and uh, and one just a moment before that, we had a chance to kick for a penalty goal at um, 16-12, and we didn't, we, um, we sort of shunned it from under the post, and I, I thought that was a sort of the wrong decision, and I know Ian Watson uh, mentioned that in his press conference, didn't he, about we should have took the two there, and talking about game management and things like that, but Danny Bruff. Did kick that penalty over. But then, yeah, we got that try from Josh Jones and uh, O'Brien's kick off the touchline. Tremendous uh, kicking again from Gareth O'Brien on Friday night. Got us back level at 18 apiece.
0: Yeah, and then others field with a big forward. Continue to rumble forward. Crabtree bursts the Salford liner and crashes over. And obviously they took the lead again.
1: They did. And um, I tell you what, it was a decent try that from Crabtree. He really had to reach out then. I mean, he must have long arms him because uh, when they tackled him, he was about... Sort of five or six yards out, and somehow I could see his arm reach out to score there. So it was a good try from uh, Big Earl Crabtree. That and, and like again, there they they were back to back tries. They got the ball back, and then Joe Wardle scored for him just just after that. So that that gave him a 30 points to 18 lead there then, and uh, you know they were looking good for it, honestly. we were struggling.
0: Yeah, that's kind of two tries back to back, twice in in a game, Paul. That, yeah, you know that yeah. that's kind of a killer blow really for Salford
1: yeah it certainly isn't it sometimes it's down to concentration levels as well i think innit you know when you've got that you just let a team score against you you've got to put the pressure on them then you know bang a big kick down there and big defence you know make them make that, that team work to get out of their own half and we didn't we missed you know some soft tackling there and Huddersfield bust us busters down the middle a couple of times and uh, i think it was Jamie ellis for that that second try where wardle scored he he uh, he burst through there, and uh, like I said before, Ellis and um, and Danny Bruff were very good on, on Friday. They they sort of bossed that game and kept Michael Dobson and Robert Louis quiet.
0: Yeah, and then obviously at that point, uh, Justin Carney got sin binned uh, for the, for his uh, throw on on uh, was it Bruff making a quick Danny
1: Bruff, yeah, Danny Bruff, yeah.
0: You know crucial moments like that. You know Salford kind of in the ascendancy, you know looking to to you know to burst the othersfield line, and then othersfield come away with the ball and Carney silly cannibality kind of to give away and without twelve men and that, that mountain just gets a little bit bigger, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, it does, but you know, look at Danny Bruff there. The thirty points to eighteen up with ten minutes to go. We get a man simbin, you know, the a lot of teams would have attacked there, wouldn't they, against twelve men, but Danny Bruff, using a bit of common sense, drops a drops a goal. That just puts you then thirteen points in front, then three scores in front, then done it, and that's that's just really professional play from Danny Bruff and, you know, I thought that was the right thing to do then. It just sort of that was just enough for them to uh, to get the result. Then even with our comeback.
0: Yeah, I'm saying with 12 men, Salford had a real good goal, uh, sweeping move across the field, uh, and then Jones stretches over for it for his second try. We, we talked about Josh Jones; he's playing fabulously at the moment, uh, and his two tries again on Friday proves that.
1: Yeah, it, Josh Jones, for me, is a player who's got better as the season's gone on. I think it's took him a, a bit of time to find his feet. You know, he's played in the second row, he's played in the centre. But he looks, I think he looks all right in the centres now. He's he's very strong and he, he, he seems to have the ability to bump tackles off and, and make that half break. I think you've just got to go with him as well when he makes that half break and he'll offload the ball for you. But I thought he played really well and he's probably one of the, a good shout for Man of the Match on, on Friday night, Josh Jones.
0: Yeah, so we've kept continued to push and push, Paul. Uh, and with two minutes to go, we, we get our breakthrough. Uh, Daniel Vido uh, in the corner, good work by Dobson. Lewin, O'Brien again sends Vido into the corner, and, and there's a little bit of hope that we could snatch the win.
1: Yeah, yeah, there was there. I mean, Gareth O'Brien again, fantastic with his with his goal-kicking, uh, five from five, and I think three or four of them were off the touchline, so uh, yeah, that's off to him, but we, we just... Um, we just not, not not got it in the tank there. They just done enough, I think Huddersfield to uh, to snatch the game because um, Justin Canny kind of got tackled into touch then. And if we're really honest, I don't think we really deserve to win on on Friday. I think Huddersfield were the with the better side, and you know it was a disappointing night with you know with the, the position of Huddersfield in the table. It was a game really we should have been looking at winning at home.
0: I just think it was the intense levels, me Paul. They were, they were, there was no kind of fizz, was there? It was no, a lot of like labouring about, lots of you know taking you know from the from the, sort of uh, receiving a kick, you know people kind of lumbering back in, into the into a sort of the attacking position. Um, obviously look maybe is it tiredness setting in? Do you reckon after a hard season? Yeah,
1: maybe. Well, it's like the intensity levels you say, Rob. I mean, you look at how they, they sort of played for that last ten minutes when Justin Carney got simmed. Mm. They sort of were rushing to scrums. I can remember a kick in the first half and. You know, nobody nobody chased it. They were all still sort of stood ball watching on the halfway line, and you know we had to go back and get that kick. And there was nobody there to play the ball. It's like you know you've got to you've got to rush back and form scrums and you know play at an intense level. And they did for the last ten minutes. But that's no good. You've got to play like for eighty minutes. And there's not been that many games this season where I can remember where we've actually played a full eighty minutes. There's been like good spells here and there, aren't there? And good twenty minutes here and there. And I think that's something that Ian and Tim have got to work on. I feel like I say the same thing every week, but they do. We, we need the eighty-minute performance. And if you don't perform for eighty minutes in Super League, you're gonna come up short more more times than not. And I think that's what happened to us on Friday. You can't take anybody for granted, whether it be Leeds, Huddersfield, O'Care, Care, any of them teams at the bottom, any of the teams at the top. You've got to you've got to come with your with your A game every week, or you're gonna get
3: beat.
0: Yeah, this is what are you not? Ian Watson has to say. Uh, after the game,
3: yeah, it en- ended up close. I don't think we had, um, we deserve to get back in close. To be fair, with our performance, our, our performance was way below any kind of standard that we set. What, what, are you,
1: what do you put your finger on? How can you, you know, what what
0: wasn't there tonight
3: that normally is? The performance? I just think w- we need to do better um, as a team. All of us, um, t- they've they've trained really well in in the week. Uh, training yesterday was un- unreal really we looked really good and generally when we've trained really well we've generally performed as well and to th- today we've not turned up um, and that, that's probably the be all and all of it. we've not turned up today and as a club w- we need to be uh, bigger and better. Was
1: there a, an, any
3: aspect in particular you were particularly disappointed with? Oh, All the game to be honest with you we, we, we just don't we just don't train that way we're not a group that does that um, that kind of caves in and doesn't um, compete and have um, the enthusiasm. Um, we're not a team that doesn't have that. Um, we're generally pretty good at that. Um, but for today, for whatever reason, we we haven't turned up today.
1: What the boys said after that
3: initially. Oh, the disappointed. Really disappointed. We know we're disappointed because you look at the game and you think if we're anything like, we we'll win that game and we were confident coming into the game. We would prepared really well. Um, we just we're really disappointed as a group. We just know we need to get better, and we should, we need to put better performances out than that for sure. It's still tenth in the table now. You think the top eight's just beyond you? It's it's not gone. It's not gone. But if we play like that again, it, it's definitely gone. Um, we need to fix that up together as a group, uh, and we'll we'll look at that as well. Because um, there's points in the game there where we we don't handle the game well, and we've we've been speaking about that for weeks. Um, that we don't manage the game well um, so that, that's something that we will continue to work on as well um, but we, we need everyone pulling in the right direction and in the same direction to start um, getting the positive results.
1: When you talk
0: about game management, do you, do you put that the criticism
3: solely on the half or is it a collective effort? Oh no, it's, it's easy to go at your half-backs and say they're not managing the game as well, there's lots of different things in there as well. Everyone always looks looks at people like Matty Smith and how they control the game. Danny Bruff how he controls the game. He comes up um, where we, we turn the chance down to go for two points, which uh, we should have took. Um, Danny Bruff comes up the other end. He takes the two points as well. And then when he's getting in front, he's looking for that drop goal. Um, so it, it, you see the bits the halfbacks do, but there's other bits to it as well. And as a team, you can help each other out. And it's not just doing solely on a half shoulders as well. The team can help out in that by playing smart. What did you
1: make of the chance?
3: Well, I mean, they were pretty full-strength, weren't they? That's as good as their <coughs> squad gets, to be fair. Um, they've just just—they've not been playing well with confidence, to be fair. I just felt we, we gave them confidence more than anything. It's like we didn't start the game well, in um, our attitude and our contact in defence was poor. Um, and then they just grew a leg and grew a leg on the back end of that as well, and then they just got the confidence of them. And they're good players, and if they get confident, they're going to cause you trouble.
0: I know it's an obvious thing to say, after, Given the
4: circumstance
5: of their
3: week, I imagine the the plan was to go out all of those and really try and knock them while they are down. So yeah, well, they've had a tough week as a club. They've had a, a lot of distractions, haven't they? Um, obviously with something really badly serious, and then obviously losing the coach as well. Um, so let's say it's um for us as a club to kind of be ruthless there and go hard um, from the beginning and take it to them, and we didn't start that way at all. Your, um, your colleague. I don't know the ins and outs of it to be fair, obviously only from what you see um, I found him a, a really good bloke, a really honest bloke to be fair, every time I've met him with the coaches meeting he's been really upfront, really honest um, he's lost his job on the back of the performances I thought they may have kept with him for the Challenge Cup but obviously it's not it's not to be so we'll see, I think he's built a good, a good side there though at Huddersfield to be fair over the years and where they've finished as well, it's like Brian Mack um, people were kind of calling for his head, but it, the stuff he's done for Leeds as well, you've got to give him the chance to kind of have that transition sometimes as well and stick with him, They don't become bad coaches overnight.
1: You, you've obviously had this defeat now, how, how do you respond and, and get the players to react
3: on that manner of performance? You'll be looking for some sort of, of reaction? Yeah, well, we'll get straight back to the drawing board really, um, get back to training, um, training hard again and um, step it up from there as well, and that, that's your first protocol is always to get back out on the training field and fix it apart on the training field, but then it comes on to the next game now, because everyone will remember this game now, it's then what we are in our next game so that's the one that we've got to perform in, it's no good just going out there and training brilliant and training the house down and then performing poorly again next week we, we, we need to change um, the culture of that it's just okay to be in games at Salford, we need to start winning them games and uh, and we will get there and, and we'll take the right people forward with that as well, so that'll, that'll be for us all to um, Mucking together and get there.
2: Do you think it's do you think it's good to have the the week off with the Challenge Cup?
3: Oh, given, no, the,
1: given
2: the results that,
3: well, after the result that like, you want to play, uh, from a player's mentality, they'd be wanting to play mm-hmm. because they want to get that performance out out of the system. Yeah,
2: from your from your point of view as a coach, given that extra time,
3: yeah, it's, it's good because you get the training time in stuff like and you can you can assess where we're at and. What we need to look at, if there's changes that need to be changed, um, give some injured lads some time to get back on the on the field, which hopefully um, we will do after Cass as well. And then people who've put the performance in today are going to be held accountable for their performance. Yeah, um, <coughs> so Benny Murdoch coming off. Um, yeah, he, he's looked like he had a bit of a dead calf, to be fair. They were, we've not assess that yet. They're looking at him now. There's a couple who are just being assessed. But, yeah. Yeah, there's been a
1: little bit of speculation about the right level
3: anything in that I I's oh, in, injured Niall. Um we'd, we'd love to have Niall fit. We'd love to have Josh Griffin and a uh, Mason and Jono fit as well. We're, we're, we're down on our outside back at the moment but Nile's probably got a few more weeks left yet yeah, to be fair. you yeah. we'll to get back. He's a or a Yeah. He always, yeah, he always pops up for a try. But like I said, there's Josh Griffin who's got to come back as well. There, there's Greg Johnson who's due to come back as well. These were the kind of players who were playing for us at the beginning of the year when we were kind of creating chances and finishing chances as well. Um, so yeah, it'll be good to get them back. <coughs>
0: Oh William Watson frustrated, Paul, uh, just like we were about the
1: result. Yeah, I think he was. I think I think he expected to win. I think he was upset more than anything. I mean, him and Tim Sheens are putting a lot in, aren't they? And he was talking about the training and how well they'd gone in training. And he expected them to, to, uh, to do the business. And, and so did I. I was disappointed on, on Friday night. Huddersfield, they're not a bad side, are they? But they're down near the bottom. And if you want to do anything, you've got to beat these teams at the bottom. And for me, we had a golden opportunity there to beat Leeds and beat Huddersfield, two sides that were down down at the bottom. But we've we've left the door wide open now. They're the level on 10 points with us. You know, when we play that Castleford game, we lose that and then them pair win. We could be bottom with three games to go. So it's not the position we wanted to be in. And um, we can only have ourselves to blame, really, for that.
0: Suppose We've got a few more games in the tank yet, Paul, to, to turn this round. Yeah,
1: we have, yeah. Yeah, yeah we certainly have.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not, you know, obviously where we are is where we are. And I'm sure looking at that squad we've got, you know we've got enough quality players there. Um, to you know obviously if we haven't had the six point deducted, we'd be you know near the top, near the you know top eight, wouldn't we? Really. So there's yeah. players in there if they find their farm again, uh, to, to pull us clear in that in in that uh, middle eight. The problem we've got with the middle eights is, we it's not make sure that we don't play the shirts because obviously with Huddersfield and Leeds, you know we we think them as teams that we don't really get results out out very often. But they are struggling down in the bottom, Paul. So, you know, we've got to get that out of our minds yeah. and get a result, play the people on the pack and, and, and pick up the two points.
1: If we do end up in that, we don't know where we're going to be yet, do we? Because we don't know about point, it's points deduction. We don't know whether we're going to win our last four games. We could do. It's highly unlikely, but we could do. So just say, for an argument's sake, we do finish in the, in the middle eights. You've got to attack that as, as another season for me. You're playing seven games and those players, with the... With the pride of playing for Salford, you want to win all seven games and finish top of that mid eight. If you look at Hull Care, they did it last season, didn't they? I think they won every game and uh, and and come top of it. And that that's something you've got to aim for. It's another it's a mini league in it. You want to come top of that. And uh, I think that's the way you've got to approach it. Because if you don't and you lose a couple of games and then say you've got to go away to London Broncos or Lea or someone like that and, and look for a result, they're going to make it really hard for you. And you've only got to finish fourth and then you're in that million pound game and it's it's anybody's then, it's a one-off game, someone can get sent off, somebody gets injured. I mean, look at, the, look at the the League Cup game last season, we got a couple of injuries in that game and we're down to the bare bones, weren't we? And you don't want something like that to happen in a million pound game, so make sure you win your games and you should be all right.
0: Yeah, looking at the the stats, Paul, uh, tackles, uh, Craig Kopjack with 25, Flanagan with 39, Tonkins with 39, um, they made a lot of tackles. George Griffith with twenty seven, Ben of with twenty eight. You know, the forwards he worked hard on uh, on Friday.
1: They did work hard. I think we missed a few tackles as well though, didn't we, down the middle? Yeah. I think Udersfield busted a few times, didn't they? But they've got a big pack of forwards, Udersfield, you know. You look at that Rapira, that Sam Rapira. wasn't his 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 brother who played for Solf, was it yeah. uh, Steve Rapira, wasn't it? Yeah, that Sam Rapira played played well. But they've got some big blokes, haven't they, Michael Lawrence? And then if you look at the backs as well, could Joe, Wardle, McGulvre, I mean I've said it before on the podcast, I struggle to understand how poor they've been this season on this field and how low down they are on the table, You know, looking at the side that they've got. It's very similar to the team that they had last season and they finished in the top four. So, But yeah, um, the forwards worked hard on, on on Friday night. They have done all season, you know, guys like Craig Kopjack and Mark Flanagan as well. We, we don't mention him as as much as we should do, really, the amount of tackling he gets through and the amount of work he gets through.
0: Yeah, looking at the stats, 39 tackles. Um, by Flanagan uh, mm-hmm. it was you know it's a phenomenal effort for him and he's, he's like that every week isn't he Paul you know he grafts and all, all teams need a Mark Flanagan uh, to take him to the next level
1: they certainly do I think he's a clever footballer Mark Flanagan as well I think uh, you know your loose forward is is your, your main man there for sweeping up isn't he and you know he's got to work hard do the tackling and Mark, Mark Flanagan certainly does and I think he's been a been a really good buy this season and he's reliable as well he's not one of those sort of players who's always on the, on the treatment table. We had a few of them last season, didn't we? But, you know, Matt Flanagan's pretty reliable. He's, he's there with his hand up every week. And, you know, I've been impressed with him this season.
0: Yeah, looking at the other stats, uh, meter makers, Daniel Vido with 124, Weller with 156, uh, June, uh, Justin Carney, 137, Junior Sau with
1: 148.
0: Uh, you know, he made some big yards, Salford, um, against a big field pack.
1: Yeah, they did. They certainly did, yeah. Well, I reckon, you know, he did. He took a bit of stopping, Weller, on uh, on Friday. The only thing with Vito, he still doesn't look 100% to me. You know, he's um, I don't know how he went on in the NRL, but I'm sure he, he looked quicker when the videos I've seen. He just he just looks still a bit short of that yard of pace. So, you know, hopefully, you know, he keeps getting the games under his belt. He's going to get better and better. So, But he's, he's getting over the line and taking his opportunities, which is good.
0: Yeah, looking at the other, a couple more stats. Tackle bursts. Josh Jones with 10, uh, Vido with 2, Welleracki with 4, Carney with 5. You know, I mean, the bursting tackles as well as making big yards.
1: Yeah, it's just getting the end product, Rob, is it, really? You know, you're making the burst, you've got other people there backing up, haven't you, on that? So, uh, you know, I'm sure that's something we're going to be working on, but there's definitely, we've got players in the squad who can who can make the breaks, you know, Justin Carney, I mean, he bust tackles for fun, doesn't he? And, uh, and Junior, Sal. So, I mean, I've mentioned him nearly every week, I've been really impressed with Junior this season. He, he looks twice the player he was last season. He wasn't a bad player last season, was he? So so yeah, I think think there's a lot of positives we can take out of it, but he was just a really disappointing scoreline.
0: Yeah, looking at the uh, three word match reports, a man of the matches from our listeners, uh, Martin, he said is relegation a possibility Paul is it is it something that we have to kind of, you know, at least brace ourselves for.
1: Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is there's, don't come this thing that we're like magical Salford and we're bigger than what we are because we're not. You know, we've been relegated before and, you know, how many times have we been the fall guys? I mean, you look at that that mid eights, the way I look at it, you could end up playing Huddersfield, Hulkingston Rovers and Leeds, right? We've got a really poor record at Hulkingston Rovers. We've got an awful record against Leeds. Huddersfield's just beat us. So those, those teams, I mean, there's not a lot between them, is there? It's a lottery, really. And then you've got maybe Lee and London, Bradford and I'm not sure the other one will probably be Halifax Featherstone somebody like that so they're not going to be easy games are they and you've only got to finish you've got to finish in that top three haven't you and you know Leeds, Huddersfield how many times have they finished above us in the last few seasons Mm -hmm. and all care as well so I think it's a big thing that we finish if we don't get in the top eight we finish either ninth or tenth because that that extra home game to me four home games is you know is a a big thing I think
0: well like I said before Paul it's all about not play in the shirt yeah forget it's Leeds forget it's uh, Huddersfield forget it's OKR it's all about winning the game
1: yeah you
0: spot on that's what they've got to do now because if they start thinking oh it's Leeds to be honest that's us and the players to be fair
1: yeah
0: thinking oh we'll get beat against Leeds that's, that's not the attitude we beat Leeds at home yeah you know, we
1: struggled way- to beat Leeds at home, we should have walloped Leeds at home, let's have it right, Leeds have been poor this season, I've seen quite a lot of Leeds and they've been garbage on most yeah. weeks and they didn't play well against us the other week, it just shows how poor we were at Leeds the other week, mm-hmm. you've got to go there with the right attitude and same with Hulkingston Rovers, I mean they've had some good wins this season but they've had some hide-ins as well haven't they? So yeah. they, He's we, out as well, he's, 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 he's out for the... Yeah, so you know, they're in the bottom four for a reason aren't they Rob, because they, they're not good enough for that top eight and they've been poor so... And so are we, in, but we've got this thing, we've had this six points deducted, so you know we wouldn't have been in there. So from where I am sat, we're, we're better than them, I think. And it's up to us to go out there and prove it.
0: Yeah, uh, Jungle J says, keep the faith. Uh, Nodman's uh, absolutely terrible. Uh, his man of the match was Crabtree. Um, Tony Frame, uh, his man of the match was Josh Jones. Uh, John Warwick too many players, not good enough. That's five, that's six, not three. Um, a lot of people, like I said, you know, I think it was, like I say, a lot of people disappointed. Chairman Bob, uh, another missed opportunity. Um, his man of the match was Josh Jones. Cow uh, John Reich says bizarre substitutions again. Um, his man of the match was Jones. I suppose Ian Watson has to, you know, roll the dice, does not it? Uh, when you're getting deep, was it thirty-one eighteen at one point? You know you've got to try different things, haven't you? Uh, you know substitutions may have been a bit, you know, strange, but we got back within one. It was, you know, it was just unlucky in the end.
1: Yeah, one one thing I found that was a bit strange on uh, on Friday night was Ryan Lannon was in the 19-man squad, but didn't <clears throat> excuse me, didn't make the 17. And I've been impressed with Ryan this season when he's when he's played, and I think I'd, I'd have him in i him in the in the side. I mean, I know a lot of people have been moaning about Phil Joseph saying that why is he in the team and. I think he works hard, Phil. I think, you know, he, he makes makes the yards and he's, he's a good offloader in the ball and I think he's stuck a bit of stick when, uh, you know, he shouldn't have been doing, really. But I'd like to see uh, see Ryan Lannan back in the side, definitely.
0: Yeah, I suppose he's one of our, you know, young kids coming through and I suppose it's all about kind of spelling him, really. You don't want mm-hmm. him to play too much and burn himself out. He's got, you know, many years uh, ahead of him and I suppose it's about like nurturing him and his talent, I suppose, at, at, at the moment. Um, who was your man in the match, Paul?
1: Oh, tough one. That really, Rob. I'll probably go for Josh Jones. Really, when well, I was thinking of the match on, on Friday, I was looking for someone who who stood out for me really, and who I thought oh he, he played well and you know he did he did special things in the game. And I thought Josh Jones did. He scored a couple of tries and he looked dangerous and he bust bust the line a few times. And in the performance, it was pretty poor. He was probably one of the highlights of it really. So I'll go for Josh Jones.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go uh, for Welleraki this week uh, with 156 meters, 14 tackle bursts. Average gain of of eleven meters a carry. Uh, you know, it's one of his one of his better games for for Salford, and you know he's he obviously started the, the season off injured, didn't he? And he's come back in and he's he's started to show the the magic which we know he's got.
1: Yeah, he's taken a while it to get get back up to speed, but he, he's sort of getting there now. And we know he's a decent forward, don't we? And going into this middle eights, you know, guys like him and Ben Murdoch, at Masilla are going to have to stand up really because we're gonna need we're gonna need that firepower.
0: Yeah, I agree with that Paul. So unlucky defeat for Salford against Huddersfield at home, uh, but we'll hopefully strike back uh, in the next couple of weeks uh, against uh, Castleford. Uh, so now what we'll do, we'll have a look what our amateur size did uh, this week uh, in Paul's amateur review.
1: Well, this week's amateur review We start with Salford Red Devils Under-19s There was no game for the under-19s On uh, on Thursday They were due to play Leeds Rhinos On Thursday night But uh, due to the, the terrible news Last weekend of uh, young Ronan Costello Passing away in the game against the Huddersfield under-19s, they decided to, to postpone that game, you know, which is quite, quite right to be honest. Very sad time for everybody involved in that, so condolences to, to Roland's family and everybody. So we'll start with the National Conference League. We had uh, a game in the Conference Challenge Trophy Round 2 between Rochdale-Mayfield and Saddleworth Rangers on Saturday. Rochdale-Mayfield winning by 44 points to 36 against the Rangers, so they're through to the quarter-finals of the Challenge Trophy. The quarter-final ties will be played on Saturday the 16th of July, but the draw has not been made yet. We're just uh, waiting for a date to be confirmed for that. So the fixtures for this coming week in the National Conference League. In the Premier Division, casford Lock Lane play Rochdale-Mayfield. In Division 2, Bradford-Dudley Hill play the Salford City Roosters and Saddleworth Rangers play Dewsby Celtic. And in Division 3, it's Drillington against the Waterhead Warriors. All those games are played on Saturday the 25th of June we'll take a look now at the student uh, rugby league it was the student four nations which england won they came top of the group winning all three matches i'll just give you a round up of the scores on monday the 13th of june england beat ireland 52 points to 4 uh, wales beat scotland 56 points to 12. On the Wednesday, the 15th of June, two days later, Ireland beat Wales 42 points to 20. England beat Scotland 40 points to 10. And then on the, fa- on the Saturday, the 18th, the final round of fixtures, England beat Wales 34-14. And Scotland beat Ireland by 52 points to 26. So England came top of the group, winning three out of three. Wales, Scotland and Ireland all won a game each. Uh, Wales finishing second top on, on points difference. So congratulations to England students and a very well-deserved uh, trophy victory. Moving on to the North West Men's League, we've got the results from Saturday the 18th of June. Blackpool Scorpions 12, Halton Farnworth Hornets 70, that was in Division 2. All the rest of these games are in Division 2 as well. Leyland Warriors 16, Manchester Rangers 24, Oldham St Anne's A32, Rochdale Mayfield A8, Pilkington Rex A32, Berry Broncos 12. The game between Witness Tigers and Lee Minor Rangers was abandoned. In Division 4, it was Bolton Mets 4, Cadizhead Rhinos 96. A well, fantastic win there for the Rhinos. Plenty of tries in that one. In Division 5, it was Clockface Miners 8 0, Leyland Warriors A 24, Salford City Roosters A 48, Langworthy Reds 10. I've got a match report from that game as well. There were six players making their first appearances of the season for the Roosters. That included Davyton, Ferretti, Rock, Bow. And 53-year-old Matt Maudsley, who played alongside his son Callum. The star of the show was scrum half Sean Watson, who scored a hat-trick of tries, followed by Thomas, who weighed in with two tries. And a third round of the match went to Callum Maudsley. The Roosters' other try scorers were Steve Barry, Steve Brooks, Jack Rogers and Alex Edwards, who also added six conversions. The Roosters' to survived two sim bins as well, with Harry Graham getting the yellow card on 14 minutes, followed on 58 minutes by Kyle Mott. While Langworthy's try scores were Bobby Richie uh, in the first half and Joe Burns in the dying minutes of the game, the first effort being converted by Jack Davis. So a great win there for uh, the Salford City Roosters A. In the entry division, Berry Broncos B12, Burnley and Pendle 58 and there was also a friendly between Oral St James A and the Mancunians which the Mancunians won by 24 points to 10. So the fixtures for this week. Start on Friday, the 24th of June. It's Manchester Rangers against Oldham St. Anzay. That's a Division 2 game. In Division 1, Charlie Panthers play Folly Lane. In Division 2, Berry Broncos play the Leyland Warriors. Rochdale Mayfield A play Witness Tigers. In Division 4, it's Ed Rhinos against Eccleston Lions. Garswood Stags against Rochdale Cobras. Little Houlton Reds against Kulcheff Eagles. Manchester Rangers A against Bury Broncos A. West and Lions against Bolton Mets. And in Division 5, Clockface Miners A versus Salford City Roosters A. Liverpool Lions versus and Rhinos A. And Oral St James A against Langworthy Reds. And in the Merit League, there's two fixtures between Littleborough and Blackpool Stanley. And Aspel New Springs and the Mancunians. We're going to take a look now at the North West Youth League, the under 15s. There was a few games on Saturday, oh sorry, Sunday, the 19th of June. It was a Lancashire Cup preliminary round. Easy for you to say. Oldham St Anne's 18, Blackbrook Blues nil and Holton Hornets 32, Saddleworth Rangers 12. But a special mention goes to Caddy Zed Rhinos under-15s, who beat Wigan St. Cuthberts at Rochdale Mayfield Stadium on Sunday to win the North West Development Shield. They beat Wigan St. Cuthberts by 11 points to 10, so fantastic result there for Caddy Z Rhinos, and congratulations to everybody involved there. Just looking back to the Caddy Zed Rhinos under-15s, we've got a match report from that game, and it was a fabulous game as well. The Rhinos, who travelled to Rochdale-Mayfield on Sunday morning to take on Wigan St Cuthbert's in the North West Community Development Shield final. The opening exchanges saw two evenly matched teams testing each other out. Wigan were first over the line after taking advantage of a head mistake to take the score to 6 points to nil. The Rhinos had to dig deep to contain a very dangerous St Cuthbert's side. After having a try to slow for a forward pass, had got their reward with Vaughan Murphy touching down just before half-time. So a half-time score was Ed Rhinos 4, Wigan St Cuthbert 6. Early in the second half though, the Rhinos fell behind again after they were able to deal with a Wigan kick, taking the score to 10 points to 4 in St Cuthbert's favour had refused to lie down and had moved down the flank so another try chalked off for a forward pass. The lads' hard work finally paid off when Matt Crawshaw crossed the line to get the Rhinos back in contention. A successful conversion by Josh Grundy brought the scores level at 10 apiece and set up a grandstand finish. It was now anybody's game as the clock started to tick down. head then took the lead for the first time thanks to Josh Grundy calmly slotting over a drop goal. The full-time hooter sounded after a 10-6 minutes the one-pointer was being the difference between the two sides. Congratulations to the lads for a hard-fought win over a very good and well-coached Wigan Saint Cuthbert side. So it finished there. Carries and Rhinos eleven, Wigan Saint Cuthbert ten. Congratulations to the Rhinos from everybody here on Devil in the Detail. A fantastic result there and a, you know, really a really great win. In Division Two on Sunday it was Blackpool Scorpions twenty-six, Rochdale Mayfield twenty-six. And the fixtures for this week will be played on Sunday, the 26th of June. This is the under-15s Premier Division. And it's Lee Minor Rangers against Oldham St. Anne's. And Waterhead versus Holt and Hornets. In Division 1, Folly Lane plays Saddleworth Rangers. In Division 2, it's South Trafford against Blackpool Scorpions. Caddy's Ed Rhinos versus Oral St. James. And Rochdale Mayfield versus Leyland Warriors. That's all your amateur news for this week. I she'll see you next week.
0: Cheers for that, Paul. So now what we'll do after that, we'll have a look who is going to be the latest member of our 200 club. So this part of the show, Paul, uh, we're going to introduce the new member of the 200 club, the Devil in the Detail 200 club. Uh, would you like to announce who it's going to be?
1: Yeah, we're going to have a look at Mark Lee's career at Salford this week. We had a few, we did a few last year, didn't we? Mike Kuhlman and Eric Prescott we spoke about, didn't we? And Steve Blakely. But we're going to do one from, you know, around this era or the era just gone at the Willows in uh, in Lee.
0: Yeah, what a great player Mark Lee was uh, as a hooker and as a, as a scrum half for Salford through the years uh, and he was, you know, a really, really great foul, crowd crowd favourite.
1: Yeah, he certainly was, you know, whether he played at hooker and he played at scrum half a lot as well, didn't he, in his career and he was always there or thereabouts when he in the side and he was someone he could rely on, he made a lot of appearances, he never seemed to have that many injuries either, Mark Lee, did he? So, yeah, he was um, he was a good player, I think he was a very underrated player as well, Mark Lee, and he was, he was a... A good sign in 1990, we signed him from St. Helens, and he did a good 10 years at, at, at Salford.
0: Yeah, we had him on the show last year, and here's uh, some highlights of his interview he did with us um, in that podcast.
4: So, next one, obviously, we signed you then from St. Helens in January 1990. How did that come about to come and join us?
5: Well, I was on the uh, transfer list, basically, because um, Paul Groves, a kick cat from Salford, was the Great Britain hooker. And um, Saints signed him with him being about five years older than me and probably the Great Britain hooker at the time. Uh, I was just wondering how long it was going to be before I got my chance at Knowsley Road. So um, a few teams came in, uh, Warrington, Witness, Lee and Salford and um, eventually a chap called Albert White who was a director at Salford. Fantastic guy and um, they really had an eye for a talent and he was John Wilkinson's right-hand man. And he approached me after a a reserve game at Saints and asked me to meet him at Carmel in the morning and he would drive me down and uh, talk contracts. And in the 10, 11, 12 years I was at Salford, that was probably the only time Albert drove. Um, I'm beginning to think he only signed me so he could get a free lift for 10 years.
1: You signed for for Salford and became a crowd favourite for your all-action style of play from Hooker. There were some big characters in the dressing room.
5: What was that light coming into that yeah there was some formidable characters at Salford I can tell you and unfortunately I, I think possibly that's one one of the problems with today's game that there's quite a lot of character missing out of the game but um, you know you chuck in a changing room with the likes of Ian Blease, Phil Ford, Paul Farber, Arthur Bradshaw, Tex Evans there's some um, Gibbo there's some right characters in there and uh, we had some great times out at the Willows. Cool. Uh, we reached the Lancher Cup final
0: uh, and the Premiership final, uh, lose, uh, losing one to Widness and winning the other one against Halifax in the Battle of Old Trafford. Uh, did these experiences help you later on in career, you know, playing in big games?
5: Yeah, I remember the Witness one. I think Martin Ophaya scored one that uh, actually nailed us in the end and he came back in on an angle and uh, I was going the other way and I just stuck my arm out. I thought I'd actually brought my arm to tackle him, but uh, I survived that one. Uh, but the, uh, the Halifax game was quite... Um, Quite a tasty affair. I think we drew in in Workington 7 all at home and we'd had to go up on the Wednesday in the replay. Unfortunately, I got eight staples in my eye um, in the first half, so I got stitched up at half-time, came back out, um, and obviously word got around, so that was the reason of the big fight, first scrum of the game against Halifax, that uh, they were aiming for a certain Mr Lee with eight stitches.
4: Yeah, I think we discussed that about Brendan Hill sort of having a, a bit of a dabble with you that day, that must have been quite an interesting thing.
5: Yeah, um, well of course we had a bit of banter with um, with Brendan every time we played, and the usual one with Brendan, you know, we'd call him overweight person, as you do. And his reply one day was, I'm overweight because every time I've slept with your mum, she give me a biscuit. So that kind of shut us all up.
4: So moving on, you've been coached at Salford by some greats like the likes of Kevin Tamate, Gary Jack, Andy Gregory, early in your career at Salford. All great players, but what was their coaching styles like? Were they, were they all different?
5: Yeah, they were all slightly different. Kevin was very laid back and... Um, Never stifled you as um, as a player. Um, Greg kind of worked a lot on team work, uh, team camaraderie. Uh, Gary Jack probably, to be fair, Gary Jack probably moved up, moved us on a little bit with regards tactics and um, and game plans. Um, great player from Australia, um, who uh, you know I don't hide. I didn't really get on with Gary, although I admired him for being a great player and a, a great coach.
1: Andy Gregory Switch, you to Scrum from Hooker. How did you feel about that at the time?
5: Well, at the time, I, there was no pressure, really, because, you know, I was doing a so-called emergency job, which I didn't mind doing. And, and looking back, it worked well because it opened the door for Malcolm to, uh, to come through and, um, you know, develop quicker and better than he probably would have done if I'd have stayed at nine.
0: Cool. You formed a great partnership uh, at the time with King, the King, Steve Lakeler. Um Andy Gregory spoke highly of you both. Um, was, it, was it something you worked on in training, or was it more sort of like a natural
5: click? Yeah, we kind of connected um, quite well on and off the field. Uh, the same was that you know he did my running and I did his tackling, um, but I, I beg to differ. I did his thinking as well. <laughs>
4: so moving on another one in 1995 and 96 we obviously won the league and were eventually promoted after beating Keighley at Old Trafford in the final how did it feel being a, a main part and a main player in the Salford side around that time
5: do you know it was just one of them things that you, you don't realise till later on in, in, in time how how important and what a big stage you'd been been at in your life and in your career Uh, but they were fantastic times and probably because we enjoyed them so much they kind of slightly passed us by a little bit really to be honest
1: The Wigan Challenge Cup game in 1996 at the Willows you were outstanding and many sulfur fans think it may have been your best in a red shirt, what do you remember about it?
5: I do remember after the game walking into the club and my feet never touched the ground from the front door to the back door and the fans passed us all over the head and we were absolutely shattered that day. Uh, so when they eventually put us down, we had nothing. We had nothing on our legs. But what a fantastic day for the, you know, for the club, for the, for the city, for the fans. And um, I remember when the draw was made, we was actually having so-called having our tea in Yates' in Swinton, and, and the chairman and uh, and Andy Greg met us and they were making the draw live. And that day it came out, you know, um, Salford versus Wigan. And we all kind of, just a little apprehensive look at one another. And um, Greg sucked his last bit of Guinness, plonked his pint down and said, right, home you lot with a job due, we're going to beat these. And, that, and the rest is history. It sure is. <laughs> uh, in, in 97, uh, we were promoted to
0: Super League. Um, how did you cope with the, uh, you know, the jumping standard against the opposition? Uh, was there extra training or was there different styles and what not?
5: Probably it was the training that uh, was harder to cope with than the actual games, to be honest, because everything was lifted, the intensity and the surroundings and um, facilities that we were using were different than what what we were used to. And that was probably the biggest difference that I noticed rather than the, the playing side, because as a player, you're always up for big games. So, you know, that helped.
4: Okay, you were also part of the squad in 97 when we took on the World Cup Challenge. You got two drop goals against Adelaide Adelaide Rams at the Willows to secure a famous 14-12 win. What was it like then, testing yourself against the Aussies and their style of play?
5: Yeah, it was a fantastic experience. Um, Unfortunately, I tore my my calf uh, before the semi-final of the Saints game the day before. So I was on my way back from that, to be honest, and that was the reason... um, well, the main reason I was on the bench, but I was, I was itching to get out there. And if I'm honest, I was probably only about seventy-five, eighty percent fit. Um, but um, I needed, I wanted to have a crack at him. And I remember saying to Greg, with about fifteen minutes to go, "Greg, get me on, I'll win this game." And he stood there with his match day program rolled up in one hand, slapping his hand with the other. And eventually, he got his program out, pointed me in the face, and he said, "Get on, you better win it then." <laughs>
1: 1997 Challenge Cup you were inspirational throughout beating Casford and Warrington along the way virtually in my eyes carrying the team to the semi-final where you missed out due to injury how did you feel and do you think the result would have been different if you'd have played that day?
5: It's easy for me to say yeah it would have been different because some of the well a couple of the tries that led to them winning probably I would have been that person making that tackle and um it it's easy for me to say then, yeah, uh, but yeah, it's a massive massive regret that I didn't play in that in them games um the the Saints one that I missed out on against my hometown we was eighty minutes away from Wembley, and the Sheffield one was quite heartbreaking that um they had pins in my thumb at the time, and I, I smashed me, the base of my thumb and um The lads were heartbroken, but they learnt from it. You know, so many lads kicked on from the Scott Nailers, Nathan McAvoy's, you know. they become um, big players in in, in the Super League era, uh, probably because of the experience they learned that day at Headingley against Sheffield. But it was really a heartbreaking uh, thing. I I think the chairman was on the phone and booking the hotel when when they scored the last try.
0: Yeah, like I say, we're going to move on to the the Sheffield one. Um, Obviously, you were involved uh, that day. Um, we spoke to Andy Gregory a couple of weeks ago, uh, and he said that obviously, you know, it, end, it felt like he it ended his career as a coach uh, that day. How did the players feel? Was it was it just total devastation through the squad, or?
5: Yeah, without a doubt, that needed some um, some get, getting over. To be honest, um, everybody was down, and no matter what you did or said, it it just wasn't lifting. The gloom wasn't lifting, and it was a a pretty tough time. From probably being, I would say, six minutes away from one of the greatest days in the club's history. Um, so, you know, as players, they kind of felt they'd almost done it, but just fell at the final hurdle. Um, and it did take a lot of getting over. I mean, who knows? Had we had held on for that last six minutes, um, who knows where the club would have been? You know, had we turned into a Sheffield and look where they are now, uh, had we kicked on and uh, turned into a Bradford?
4: Yeah, I think um, Andy Gregory also mentioned the thing that sort of upset him that day was the most that he wasn't able to offer John Wilkinson the chance of leaving out his beloved Salford at Wembley.
5: Was that something that was talked about
4: after the game?
5: Yeah, without a doubt, it was on players' minds because of the the respect, I think, that every player had for for the chairman, John Wilkinson. And, um, you know, people still say, you know, I wish we could have done it for John. And, you know, it just didn't happen. Um, But, you know, he carried on. He soldiered on and he uh, he pulled things together and got his money out yet again the year after and, and ploughed it in and um, you've got to respect people like that um, and Marwin's doing a great job at the moment at, at Salford you know ploughing money in that um, you know a lot of people wouldn't do they wouldn't gamble on it and I think it's a breath of fresh air to be honest.
4: So moving on from then you obviously completed your testimonial year in, in 2000 after ten great years at the club. How much did it and does it still mean to you
5: to be a part of Salford Rugby League? I've always enjoyed my time at Salford and people say um, the day I signed for Salford, um, the coach at Saints got set the day after and had I stayed another day would have been different. I have no regrets whatsoever about um, signing at Salford because the people, the fans, the board, everybody, fantastic people and no matter what you say about Salfordians, they look after one another, the genuine. Um and they'll just they'll just go for one another, you know, and they look to look out for one another. They might not have everything, they might not win everything, but they'll always stick together, you.
0: So loads of good stories there from Matt Lee. He's definitely a character, Paul.
1: Yeah, he certainly is. Yeah, I remember interviewing him last year and uh, you know, with with you and uh, Dan I think it was, wasn't it? And uh, you know, some of the some of the stuff he told us off. Uh, was 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 really funny. He wanted some of the some of the stories that he had. But I remember him really fondly as a player, and especially going back to sort of the mid nineties when we was um, getting pushing for promotion to Super League. Remember the the rivalry we had with Keith lee and especially the Premiership final in ninety six. Marley uh, had a tremendous game. They were beat 19 nineteen six at Old Trafford, and I remember he was like the the linchpin of the side. Mark, so uh, got really fond memories of him. But one of the games I sort of remember. Was the Adelaide Rams World Club Challenge game in 97? Uh, we were trailing, I think it was about 12 8 at half time, really tight game. It was massive crowd as well for for us anyway, it was about 7,500 there at Salford that day. And um, Matt Lee came on with about 15 minutes to go, 12 apiece, and dropped two goals. And uh, we actually won the game 14 points to 12. But his drop goals for Salford was phenomenal. actually registered 34 drop goals. In uh, for for Salford in his career, which is which is pretty good, really. That's sort of unheard of these days now, I suppose. So, so yeah, and the rest of his, his stats. It's funny he, he dropped 34 goals, he scored 34 tries, and kicked 34 goals for Salford. So, uh, and that's in in 254 appearances. So, he's quite a big appearance maker for Salford as well.
0: Yeah, it's like you say, we talk about uh, game management uh, quite a lot on the podcast. And, you know, and he seemed to, you know, have that in abundance with his with his drop goals, his organisational skills around the Rook. Uh, you know, what would we do with a Mark Lee now, eh? Do
1: you know what, Matt? I was just going to say that to you, Rob. I mean, Mark Lee, he always had that sort of old, wise head, didn't he? I mean, he was old before his time, really, wasn't he? He always seemed, even in his younger days, he always had, like, a really cool head, didn't he, on his shoulders and... You know, he could he could, he could could manage a game mildly, you know, whether it was with a grubber kick or, you know, that, that sort of kick that takes the pressure off, you know, that kick to touch that takes the pressure off your side. He had that and, I mean, we're, we're crying out for somebody like that. And I mean, we know we've got Michael Dobson, but that sort of calm and influence, that old wise head in your side, I think I think we've missed that the last few seasons since we've left the Willows, really. We've not really had that sort of old head in the side, have we?
0: No, I agree with that. I think looking back, you know, the, the crucial moment for me was in kind of 97, we've had St Ellens in the Challenge Cup and Mike Lee was was the, t- the the king of our team at that point. He was getting the forwards moving and creating all kinds of you know great tries and movement. Unfortunately, got injured. Um, you know before the before the semi final, we unfortunately never we got beaten me against Saints in that semi final. And you know I, I always have a feeling that if he was fit that day, it could have been different.
1: Yeah, that's right. And um, I remember going to that game with my dad and, uh, in Central Park, standing in that big shed behind the goals, and I remember Steve Blakely getting flattened as well and he got he got carried off and we was doing alright I think until that moment but we we did, we miss Mark Lee that day, uh, I remember us getting revenge on St. Helens all that season, we beat him in the league game at home and Mark Lee had a, had a brilliant game that night and he, he scored a try as well, I think it was, my memory serves me right, 39-26 I think we beat him, not bad that is it nearly 20 years ago to yeah. remember that but yeah we had some we had some great times and i was talking with with a few people on the, on social media today about you know the, the mid nineties and, and that time and it was a special time for me growing up really you know in i was sort of 15 14 15 at the time then, and watching Salford was you know something that i was doing every week and it, it was it was it was a special time we was doing okay we got promoted to super league and there was there was a real buzz around Salford then and we had some some good players didn't we you know ex players quite a lot of ex wigan players if you if you look back at sort of sam Paniper and Steve Amson, Andy Platt, and Mark Lee from St. Helens. We had some real quality players.
0: Yeah, and it was a great time, like you said, to to watch the Reds. And you know, looking back, I suppose I suppose with Malcolm Alker, sort of the next generation of 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 sofa, sofa players, people kind of forget about Mark Lee because obviously, I, I personally think he was more of a complete player than than Mal.
1: Yeah, he certainly was. And around that time, we know Mark Lee was was used as a hooker and used as a scrum half. up. we had. Um, Peter Edwards as well, didn't we? He was hooking as well. So I think sometimes we, we he, Peter Edwards sort of brought Malcolm Olker on, I, I thought really, and sort of Mark Lee did play a lot more at Scrum Arth then. But uh, but yeah, I think you probably if you talked to Malcolm, he probably looked up to Mark didn't he, as, as a role model, and I think I think he was. I mean, he, he came back and uh, joined the coaching staff, didn't he, at Salford? I think he left and went to Charlie mm. when he finished at Salford in two, year 2000. I think it was when he left Salford. We did a good ten years with us, and then he came back and returned to the coaching stuff. And uh, you know, I think people like Mark and and Malcolm as well could still do do a good job now.
0: Yeah, and obviously introduced now into our two hundred club. And obviously, you know, we want our listeners to to give us a few names who they want to you know get into that club as well, don't we?
1: Yeah, definitely. If they put comments, like, can't they on the Facebook page or you know messages or, or whatever, couldn't they, and just just tell us who they want to do next? Because um, there's there's loads out there who've played. I mean, you don't necessarily have to play 200 games, do they? But, you know, they're thereabouts anyway, and we'll we'll give them a mention and, uh, and put them in that club. Oh, state
0: of Origin, uh, You know, that's a, a massive event in Australia, and, you know, Salford have had a, a couple of, uh, you know, players over the years uh, that have uh, represented both Queensland and New South Wales.
1: Yeah, we haven't. The first one was, was a really tight game, wasn't it? Was it 6 4 or something like that? It was a really close game, wasn't it? And, you know, I've watched quite a few of the, the State of Origin games when they used to be on Sky. I mean, I I've not got the Premier Sports now what it's on, so I've not really seen many of them in the last few years, but they're always mega intense games, aren't they? And really exciting matches, and I'm sure sure tomorrow will be, uh, be the same.
0: Yeah, obviously, I'm, I'm a, a New South Wales uh, supporter just because, basically, uh, Matt Parrish coached them. And I always thought I was like Matt Parrish, even though he was only here for like two weeks or something. He
1: seemed a good blow though, didn't he? When he came and he seemed to have some good ideas and that. And yeah. yeah, I was disappointed when Matt Parrish left because I thought, you know, he could be could be the one that to uh, to yeah. take us to glory because he did seem <laughs> to have some good ideas and he, he seemed to have the right attitude as well. So, yeah, which wasn't he was it? But I don't know, really. I'm not really. Um, I used to have a soft spot for New South Wales, but uh, I don't know. I like Queensland shirts, so <laughs> I don't know. I'll sit on the fence tomorrow.
0: With with Queensland, you got Mike, Mike Hancock, you know, a yeah, yeah. Queensland yeah. legend, played for Salford for for a few years in the twilight of his career. Um, you know, he was a good player as well.
1: Yeah, he was. He was. I didn't think he did much at Salford really, but he was. He had been a good player, hadn't he? and he sort of came and, and finished his career off. He was. It was a big name, wasn't he? And uh, obviously, we, we got a lot of experience off uh, Mike Hancock. I'm trying to think of some others we've had that have played State of Origin. Gary Jack would have been. Was Gary Jack uh, New South New South Wales? Gary Jack, I think, wasn't he? Yeah, so there's a few. As,
0: if any of my listeners want to throw in a, a couple more names that you know we've played for New South Wales or for Queensland in state of origin, feel free to tweet us and and let us know. Yeah.
4: yeah.
0: So that's the end of another podcast, uh, Paul. You enjoy it?
1: Yeah, it was really good, mate. Yeah, really enjoyed it, mate. And uh, just a bit gutted. There's uh, there's no match this weekend now, but we have got the Challenge Cup quarterfinals so look forward to, it. and all four games on the telly. So. I'm I'm working all weekend this weekend, so I'll be taping them. And I've organised me me weekend at work because Salford are not playing, so uh, it's not too bad.
0: Yeah, big thanks to Alex Simmons from Rugby AM uh, coming on and and helping us do the first part of the podcast. Uh, you know he he knows his thing about rugby league. He loves to talk all about it, doesn't he, Paul?
1: Yeah, he certainly does. Yeah, I mean what he's done sounds really exciting, doesn't it? I mean I've I've seen the Rugby AM things on the internet and. Things like that—it's just something that it was on devil in the detail. We we've got to aspire to and, and keep building our podcast because I really enjoy doing it with you, Rob, and the, the other the other guys. And uh, let's just keep going and spreading the word at Salford.
0: That's what it's all about, Paul. It's about being, you know, growing and, and getting more people to tune in uh, and listen and, and obviously watch our uh, video match reports and and read our written match reports. And it's I suppose it becomes more than just a podcast. The more we do things, you know, the more people will listen and get involved.
1: That's right. That's right. I mean, I really enjoy doing it. The, you know, the videos and doing the amateur stuff and that. I've never really done the amateur stuff really before this this season and sort of learning about the, the local sides around here. I'm getting to know who some of the players are now, so it's, it's really good and it's something I'm really enjoying. So, uh, thanks for having me on every week, Rob.
0: Oh, Paul, you, you you're a you're a character and you are great. You talk great uh, rugby league as well, and you're you're a massive part of this podcast. Don't you forget it?
1: Oh, thanks thanks very much for that, Rob. Thank you. Cool.
0: Sure. So obviously you can tune in, you can find us on SoundCloud, you can find us on Devil in the Detail SRD on Facebook and at D-I-T-D SRD on Twitter. Uh, and you also you can find us on rlinternetradio.com. Uh, so thanks for listening to this week's uh, Devil in the Detail and we'll uh, see you next week.